Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. If you haven't been here every week, some context of this book. It's important when you read the Word of God, when you study the Word of God, that you know what is happening and why the letter has been written, why this book has been written, so that you can apply it properly. Okay, so John wrote this book to believers. Uh, These are like second and third generation believers in Jesus at this time. It was written about A.D. 90 or 100, so a long time. There's been people that have died already and, and what has happened, like people who were walking with Jesus, expecting him to return their lifetime, have died. And there's kids and grandkids that are following Jesus now that were ki- uh, grandkids of the ones who initially walked with Jesus in person. Okay, and so what is happening is because the, the length of time between when Jesus was here, when Jesus went to heaven, many of these people were expecting Jesus to return really fast. And so here we are 60-ish years later, and Jesus hasn't returned. And these followers of Jesus have kind of lost their gusto for following Jesus. It has become commonplace. It's become a little mundane. It's become a little religious. This is what we do on Sundays. This is what we do. We go to church. Somebody reads the Word of God. We sing a few songs. We hang out with our Christian friends, and then we go home. Maybe if we're lucky, we go to Wendy's, or if you're really lucky, you go to a Chinese buffet place. And so these people got kind of bored with it, and they were losing their passion for the things of God. They were losing their passion for Jesus. And so John writes a letter to these people, encouraging them. That's why at the beginning it talks about how these are the things that Jesus said to us, and I'm passing them on to you. I'm reminding you of the words that Jesus spoke. At the same time, as the people growing weary and getting tired in their own Christian walk, there are false teachers that are coming along, And they are wanting to marry together the Christian faith with secular philosophy. Listen, the word secular is a word you will hear in church, and it just means unholy. It means not the same. Like, we we talk about holy and secular. So if you hear somebody say, like, that's not secular music, all they're saying is it's not sanctified or Christian or holy music. So secular is the opposite of holy. And so there was these fake false teachers rising up, and they were saying, we need to marry the Christian faith with secular philosophy of the days and the common beliefs that the people have so that we can reach more people. So what they were saying was, was quit being so close-minded. Open your mind up so more people will come to Jesus. They were saying, let's adopt some of these other philosophies. Listen, the Greeks, for, for all the good the Greeks did, they also introduced a lot of evil and wickedness into the world. They're pretty dirty people, if we're being real. And so these false teachers began to teach, let's bring all these, let's bring the secular philosophies, let's bring the, the common teachings and understandings of the day and age, and let's bring all these together in our big stew and add in Christian faith, and let's see what comes out of it. And so John is writing a letter to these people, reminding them of the teachings of Jesus. I want to remind you today that as a follower of Jesus, your life should look different than those who do not follow Jesus. 
If your life looks the same as your unsaved friends, and you all should have unsaved friends. If you only hang out with people who know Jesus, how are you fulfilling the Great Commission? You need to have people in your, they don't have to be your best friends, but you need to have people in your life who don't know what you know about Jesus so that you can bring them the goodness of God. How will they know unless somebody goes to them? And so if you spend time with people who aren't like Jesus and they would they would say to you that they were shocked when they find out you go to church, you need to reevaluate your life. You need to look at your life choices and say, how did I end up here that people who don't know Jesus are surprised when they found out I do know Jesus? And they say things to you like, oh, I thought we were the same. Has anybody ever said that to you? That's a, it's, a, it's okay to raise your hand there. You can be real. We're in church. That's a hurtful moment. That should be an alarming moment for you. That should be a wake-up call that you cannot silence. You can't snooze that wake-up call. No matter how hard you try, that wake-up call is something that should wake you up. And so John is writing a letter to these people who began to fall asleep at the wheel of their spirituality. They've taken things for granted. They've let their foot off the gas. They're just kind of chilling out and going through the motions. And in that process, false teachers have showed up and began to pollute the teaching of the gospel, to make it more palatable, to make it more easy. Listen, if we pollute the gospel... If we make it more palatable, you're in real danger. Because this message is a message of truth. Do not water this message down. When you talk to your friends who don't know Jesus, don't water it down for them. They're looking for truth. The world is looking for truth. They want to know the truth because the truth will set them free. So first, John... Chapter 2, verse 3 is where we're going to pick up. I'm going to read down to verse 6, and we're going to come back and make some points about it. It says, we can be sure that we know him, him being the Lord, if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But, he says, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There's a lot here that we're going to try and unpack in a few minutes. But let's go back up to verse 3. We can be sure that we know him. How? He says, if. He says, you can be sure that you know the Lord. If, you can be sure that you know the Lord if, if what? If you obey his commandments. You don't get to guess and pick and choose which commandments of the Lord that you obey. Can I just tell you that right now? 
I mean, you, you all already look mad as it is, so <laughs> I'm just going to keep pushing buttons this morning. And I will run out of the door before I dismiss you. That way I get a head start to my car. I didn't write this letter, okay? So you can go be mad at, at John. I didn't write this thing. He says, you know that you know him if you obey his commands. The things that he said you have to do. And you don't get to pick and choose. That's the great thing. It makes it really easy for you. Well, how do I know which ones I have to obey? Whatever it says in the book, that's what you got to obey. And so let's look at this word commandments just so we're all on the same page about what a commandment is. Because I love to show you there's no wiggle room. We love as humans, aren't we always trying to find the loopholes? Here's the law. Here's the rule. Now, where is the loophole? Just for me. Here's the line right here. How close can I get to the line without going over the line? What's wrong with us? Why are we always looking for the loophole? Why are we always looking to get as close to the line of sin in our life that we can get without actually crossing it? Is it funner over here? You know what it really is, is that we don't stand out so much from everybody else if we're over here. Or we feel like we're missing out on what's over here, so we get as close as we can without crossing a line. Because it looks like those people are having so much fun. Until they're alcoholics. Until they have sexually transmitted diseases. Until they're addicted to who knows what and can't be set free from it. Until their marriage is falling apart because they just live a life of adultery or promiscuity. The Bible even itself says that sin is fun for a time. But in the end, it brings death. The world does a really good picture of making the things that the Lord says, hey, you shouldn't do these things. The world then flips it around and makes it look like it's so fun and normal to do all those things. And then us as followers of Jesus find ourselves sitting over here saying, yeah, but man, those guys just look like they're having the best time of their life. I saw a commercial and everyone was happy. I went to church and no one was happy. I just want to be happy. Come on! They don't have yellow sweaters like Sophia's wearing. That's a happy sweater. Here's the word commandment. It's the Greek word entole, and it's an authoritative prescription. A commandment, a precept to charge, command, whether of God or of man. And let's jump down to definition number two. In the sense of precept, commandment, laws, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about the traditions of the rabbis, the precepts and the teachings of Jesus, the commandments of God in general, the precepts of the Mosaic law in whole or in part, generally and collectively. The big thought here is what it's saying is the commandment of God used either for the Mosaic law or the precepts given to Christians. Christian doctrine and duty. You have a duty to obey 
the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And John says here that if you know him, you will obey those doctrines and duties. And then he goes on and says, if they say, I know God, but don't obey those commandments, that they don't do those doctrines and duties, then guess what? They can say they know God all they want, but they don't because their life proves what they really believe. John Maxwell said this recently. I thought it was the most profound thing I'd heard in a long time. He said, you know, at the beginning of a relationship, words really matter because people don't know you. And so you tell them all about you. And those words matter because it paints a picture. It tells them who you are and what they should know about you. But he said this, that the longer you walk with somebody, the less words matter because then you're watching who they are. John says here, they can say they know God, but if they're not obeying his commands, they're lying because if they did know God, they would do what he said. Yeah, it's a party up here. Uh, Jake, party of one, please. Thank you. I'm having fun whether you all are not. <laughs> he says this. The person is a liar and not living in the truth. I don't know about you, but listen, let me, let me just tell you this. Maybe you don't believe this. Maybe you don't understand it. But living in the truth is a whole lot better than living in the sin. Living in the light is where you want to live your life. You don't want to live in darkness. Mushrooms grow in darkness. And let me tell you this, you're not called to be a mushroom. I'm just a mushroom for Jesus. No, you're not. You are called to live in the light. You are called to bear fruit that people can see so they can watch you and see what God's done in your life. <sighs> those who love, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we are living in him. How do I know that I'm living in God? How do I know that I'm a follower of Jesus? You know because you will be following and obeying his commands. People don't like to talk about obeying things anymore. It's almost like the O word is a swear word. Don't tell me to obey. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Well, here's the truth. I am not the boss of you. But if you've given your life to Jesus, he is the boss of you. And you do if you're a follower of Jesus. Listen to me, listen to me. This is, this is the truth. If you truly are a follower of Jesus, like, I mean, you really are a follower of Jesus. Like, you're sincere about it. You're not just a Sunday follower of Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. Then your life is not your own. The Bible says it has been bought with a price. And your life belongs to him. And so if you really are a follower of Jesus, what we are looking at right here is that means that then you will obey the things that he said for you to do. And, and, and if you're really obeying somebody, you don't get to pick and choose what you obey and what you don't obey. 
Because that means that you truly haven't surrendered. And guess what? If you really are bought by a price, then you really are all his. Listen, I'm talking to somebody here. Somebody here has an area in their life that they have not surrendered to the Lord. They are not, listen, let me say it this way. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. Partial surrender is not surrender at all. It's either all or nothing. You both can't be the boss of your life. God can't be the boss of your life, and you be the boss of your life at the same time. Jesus even talked about that when he talked about serving mammon. He said, you can't, you can't have two masters. It doesn't work. You're going to love one and hate the other one. Oh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> You know what? I just don't care. You got to surrender your life to Jesus. What he's after is surrendered hearts and lives. That's what he's looking for. <laughs> okay, verse 6 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Sincerely, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. One, when I was talking to Josiah about it, because we did a series during COVID, and it went on for like 40 weeks. It was like the longest series in the history of church series. And I told Josiah this verse was coming up, and he said, we're not going to do another series on it, are we? <laughs> I love this verse. This verse sums up the gospel, and it sums up what our lives are supposed to look like really well maybe better than any other verse that you would find in the Word of God. And he says this. So he's talking about obeying God. He's talking about if you know him, you will obey him. I want to show you this real quick too. He says, let's read it real quick. We can be sure we know him if we obey his commandments. Somebody says, I, don't, I, I know God but doesn't live out his commandments. That person's a liar and not living in the truth. Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Obedience shows you two things. Obedience to God's word shows you two things. Number one, it shows that you know God, and it shows that you love him, right? And then John comes along and drops in verse 6, and he says this, that those who say they live in God, who says they live in God here? Like, you are a follower of Jesus. I live in God. My life is in God. He says, those who say they live in God, wait for it, well, you're probably already staring at it, should live their lives like Jesus did. If you say that you live in God, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have surrendered your life to him, then you are called to live your life like Jesus did. That's a, that's a big thought. Take, take Jesus' three and a half years that we know about on earth. We can read through the scriptures. And the lifestyle that Jesus lived and the way that he lived his life is the model that we are supposed to live our lives after. When you say, what should my life look like? Your life as a follower of Jesus should look like his life. Does that mean I have to go die on a cross? Well, not physically. 
but spiritually, I don't think you got that. There are things that you have to nail to the cross. You have to crucify your flesh. I have been bought with a price. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Living your life like Jesus means that you live a life of surrender to the Father. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how did he teach them to pray? He starts off by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you're living your life like Jesus, and and where do we see that in Jesus' life? One of the greatest places we see that in Jesus' life is when he is in the garden getting ready to go to the cross. And he says this, essentially, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. It's going to be really hard and it's going to hurt really bad. He says, I don't want to do it. And he, and he, he goes on, he says, if there's any way, there's any way we can get through this, we can find another way that I don't have to take this road, let's do it. And then he says, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he didn't just pray it one time. He prays it multiple times. But every time when he's praying that prayer, he gets himself to the place where he says, not my plans, not my desires. I really, really don't want to do this. But it doesn't matter what I want because this isn't my life. It's your life. So whatever you want to be done, do that here now. I'm willing. Let's do it. So when you live a life, if you say that you are in God... If you say that you've given him your life and you're a follower of Jesus, then that means that you've got to crucify the things in your life that do not line up to the word of God. That you've got to go to the garden of Gethsemane in your life and say, I've got this thing right here. I really don't want to let it go. I really don't want to crucify this thing. I really don't want to put it to death. But nevertheless, Your will be done. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't know if you are. This is what living like Jesus looks like. You've got thoughts in your life that you need to crucify on the cross. You've got relationships in your life that you probably need to crucify on the cross. Well, pastor, you said that we need to have friends that aren't Jesus lovers. I did say that. But you've got to be careful about those relationships in your life. You've got addictions in your life that you need to crucify. You've got lies of the enemy in your life that you need to crucify on the cross. And say, I'm taking this lie once and for all and I'm getting it out of my life. There are all kinds of things in your life That if you're truly walking in the footsteps of Jesus, if you really are living like Jesus, there are things that you have to lay down and surrender and say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. One of the greatest pictures we have in the life of Jesus is when he is at the Last Supper. 
just before he's in the garden praying what I was talking about. He is at dinner with his disciples. He knows he's on his way to the cross. He knows what he's about to endure. The Bible says he's sitting there and he tells everybody, somebody at this table is going to betray me. Jesus is just dropping bombs everywhere he goes. Now that's a dinner party. It's a great meal, great, great dinner conversation. Somebody here is going to betray me. They began to have this conversation. It's privately revealed. You need to know this too. Somebody needs to know this. You know, if you just casually read that story, you may think that Jesus made a big ordeal about Judas betraying him. But the Bible tells you, if you read carefully and you study and pay attention, that the only people who knew that Judas was about to betray Jesus was Judas, Jesus, Peter, and John. The other eight people had no idea what was going on. Why am I telling you that? Because you don't got to tell everybody in your life all the drama and all the trash that you're going through. You don't got to tell everybody about how you've been so hurt and so wounded and you don't know what that person did to me and you don't know what they said about me. And let me tell you, let me drag you into this so you can be part of it. You don't need to do that. So in that moment, Jesus says to Judas, he tells John who asked him, he says, I'm going to dip bread in the one who betrays me, gives it to Judas. And then he says to Judas, go on, go do what you're going to go do. Judas jumps up, runs out of the room. Most of the disciples, besides those four of them that I just talked about, the Bible says that they thought he was going to go take care of the homeless or do something with the money. Then Jesus says this. It's like, attention, attention, please. Ting, 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 ting. Gets everybody's, everybody's attention at the dinner table. He's like, I have something I want to say to you. Guys, I have a new commandment for you, he says. And my new commandment is this. I want you to love others like I have loved you. Now, for many of the disciples in that room, they probably just thought about all the times they had watched Jesus love people, which is amazing because Jesus loved people unconditionally. But to Peter and John, who had just witnessed what had happened, that Judas was the betrayer, and then Jesus doesn't get in a fist fight with them. Jesus doesn't get mad at them and yell at them. Jesus doesn't treat them badly. Jesus just says, go do what you got to do. And then he says, love one another as I have loved you. This is a profound picture of what our lives are supposed to look like. When somebody hurts you, you're supposed to walk in forgiveness. You're supposed to walk in love. If you're a follower of Jesus and he says you got to live your life like Jesus did, that means you walk in forgiveness. You walk in grace. You walk in mercy to people. You don't try and give them what they're due. You don't try like, listen, I know what you did, so I'm going to make you pay for it. This is what happened in my life, so you're going to, because of you, so I'm going to make you deal with it. He says you got to love Jesus. you got to love and you got to live like Jesus did. When it says live like Jesus did, here's the Greek word for it. Let's put it up here real quick. Parapatio. That's the definition. But the part that I really like is right here. To be occupied with. To be occupied with. Those who say they live in God 
should live their lives like Jesus did. Your life should be occupied. Your mind should be occupied. Your thoughts should be occupied with living wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whatever you're dealing with, with living like Jesus lived in that moment, in that situation, in that relationship, in that conversation, in those emotions that you live like Jesus lived. Are you hearing me this morning? You're living in a day and an age right now where the world needs you to live like Jesus lived. Where you need to be occupied with thoughts about salvation and healing and setting people free by the power and the work of Jesus on the cross. Where you need to, you know, when you find yourself at work, that you have one ear tuned to the Spirit of God so that you can say what you need to say to those people to bring healing and hope and life. Can I just remind you that this life here and now isn't just about you? There's a whole lot more at stake. I think when many of us get to heaven, I don't think any of us want to see and look back at our life and realize all the opportunities we missed where we could have brought Jesus and all that he is everywhere we were at. Are you, are you hearing me this morning? You got to live it to give it. Let's keep going. Let's finish off these last couple of verses. Verse 7 says, Dear friends, not writing you a new commandment. Rather, it's an old one you have heard from the very beginning. And that old commandment was in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Have we heard this before? Mm hmm. He says, You've heard it from the beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you have heard before. Yet, it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. What I love here in verse 8 says, it's also new. It's referring to the, that passage of scripture in John chapter 13 that I just referred to, where Jesus said, a new commandment I'm giving you. Love one another. Not just don't love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' new commandment went beyond that and said, love one another as I have loved you. So that's the new part of it. Then it says this, that Jesus um, lived the truth of this commandment. Jesus lived what he taught us. Jesus lived what he said to do. When Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, he was the example that he set for you. It wasn't just this principle or this idea that not even Jesus could live up to you. It's, it's Jesus saying, this is the new commandment. I've lived it. And so since I've lived it, you can live it too. I am your standard. I am your model. Imitate me. You guys know you're called to imitate Christ, correct? And then it goes on. It says this. You're already living it. And look at this. This is what we're going to finish off at. Jesus lived the truth of his commandment. You 
also are living in. Then he says, for the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. What's the thought here? Here's the thought. When you live the law of love, it dispels the darkness. He says this, you are living it, the darkness, for the darkness. Or you could say because, you can see this, because the darkness is disappearing. So in your life, when you are living the law of love, or sometimes it is called the royal law, right? As you live this law of the truth of the commandment of loving others as Jesus loved them, as you are living your life like Jesus did, what it produces and what it does is it removes the darkness from the areas in your life. So everywhere you go and everywhere you find yourself, in every conversation you're having, if you are living like Jesus and you are loving like Jesus, it removes the darkness because the Bible says that the darkness cannot comprehend the light. Amen? Stand up with me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word is always true. It always brings life. That every time we look into your words, Jesus, if we will allow it, it will bring healing, it will bring transformation, and it brings revelation. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that the words that were spoken today find a home in our heart. That as we leave this place, we don't forget what you've said to us. We don't forget the words that you were saying to us. That it wasn't just my words, Father, but that they were your words. And your words are going deep into the areas of our heart and the shining a light in the places that nothing else can reach. And I thank you, Father, that they are producing your life. They are producing your freedom, your wholeness, and your restoration. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for your work on the cross, for what it did for us, for what it represents, and for the new and living way that it created for us. We love you. In your name we all said, Let's take a moment, and just before we leave this place, I was telling people in the first service, you know, if you come to Hope City, we usually end with a time of worship. And the purpose of that is to allow and create a moment where the Spirit of God can speak to you about what we were just talking about, so He can begin to maybe poke and prod in your heart, Open your eyes and open your ears and say and do what only he can do. So let's take just a moment together and worship the Lord. And as you do, allow him to speak to you. Ask him, is there anything you want to say to me right now? God, is there anything you want to say to me? And then just listen. All right? Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. 
If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.